Welcome to another episode of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Today we're hosting Rich Liu, who is the Chief Revenue Officer of TripActions. We're here at their New York office and he's going to be talking about scaling sales teams globally and fast. Welcome to the show, Rich. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you. Uh, so before we get into today's topic, uh, can you share a little bit about your background and how you ended up as a sales leader at TripActions? Yeah, uh, where do you want me to start? Um, I, uh, I, I joke because I'm, I'm an engineer by training and, and uh, got my engineering, engineering degree at Yale and uh, early on figured out I, I had too much energy in me and was too social to be a, a great uh, engineer sitting in a room somewhere. Um, but what brought me to Trip Actions, just flashing forward 20 years, was it's rare to be able to work for a company as a, as a tech salesperson where you can touch and feel the product and everybody who works at a company can benefit from it and everybody's traveled and has had great experiences and often poor experiences traveling. Mm -hmm. To be in tech sales and be able to work on a product like that is just incredibly rewarding. Um, and the second piece is just you know, my time at Facebook taught me that I'm most rewarded by um, building what I think about as, as, as sort of like legendary caliber companies that people for years and years and years will know what the company does even after, um, after our time there. And I think of Trip Actions as having that potential. You know, we're playing in a $1.5 trillion market, which is three, four times bigger than all of enterprise software put together. And there's a lot of pain in that market. Yeah. Not a lot of people love how they travel for work. And, uh, and we built a pretty awesome platform. So you know, from where, where I sit, it's about execution. And uh, if we can go build a legendary company, it's basically down to whether or not we can execute. And that's really exciting. Yeah, I, it sounds incredible. And uh, I've obviously recently come out of the travel space, so I can suddenly say it's huge what you're doing. Um, on that note, uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar with TripActions, talk to us a little bit about the business and just what TripActions is doing today. Absolutely. Um, so you've probably done some traveling for work and you've been in mm -hmm. the industry. Um, we often think about travel as this thing that, you know, maybe with Zoom and, and, and Slack and all these new ways of communicating electronically, business travel might be going away, but it's actually quite the opposite. Um, the way that companies and businesses are operating so globally today, it's not so much that it competes with video conference, it's actually a complement. And what we're seeing now is even companies who are, it used to be global companies you think about as these large multinationals. Now you might have a 10, 20, 100 person company that is highly global and they need to see their customers, they need to visit their teams, they have development offices in far reaches of the planet. Um, we're basically in the business of taking those 40 steps that go into the business trip, whether it's you know, booking the trip, getting to the airport, figuring out what to do when you get there and where to go to the office, all those elements and, and actually making it a lot less painful, right? We're taking the pan out of business travel so you can really focus on being there and nailing that meeting, being in front of that customer, visiting with that team on the ground and getting that value out of that trip, not all the other stuff that comes in between, all the hurdles you gotta jump through to get there. Yeah, uh, I think it's incredible. I mean, I can suddenly say from a business travel standpoint, um, it's not fun. It's kind of like fun going into the trip, and then when you kind of like get there, you're like you're tired, right? Yeah, and everybody thinks it's this this, this glorious thing, yeah. you know, <laughs> and you're, you're jet setting around to go visit different places on the planet. But at the end of the day, it's it's work and it's yeah. tiring. And yep. I red eyed into New York yesterday and flying out tonight and going to work tomorrow. Right, yeah. so. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's for the business and that's really why we do it. Right. 
Um, and so before we dive into the topic, one question we like to ask everyone is, what is one thing that no one on this podcast would know about you? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I talk a lot, so it's, it's, it's funny that most people who talk to me, will I'll, I'll just tell them everything about me. So um, let's see, one, one thing that no one would know. I loved singing and, and, and the arts in uh, growing up in school, and uh, I was always in the theater and choir shows. And so when Very I grew cool. up in Singapore, uh, a group from high school, uh, an acapella group that I was part of in high school, won a nationwide uh, acapella competition in Singapore. Wow, incredible. Um, fortunately for my sales team, they don't have to hear me sing in the, uh, <laughs> the sales floor that much these days. That's awesome. Maybe you can give us a preview at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned, <laughs> listeners. Uh, all right, so getting into the topic, we're going to discuss scaling sales teams globally and fast. A question that I think basically every high growth company is eventually going to need to tackle at some point. So, Rich, what are some of the signs or metrics that you see that indicate it's time to think about expanding outside of headquarters? And what are some of the questions that you might start to bounce off the team? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, first and foremost, I, I think the one reason you don't want to do it is for the, the pride element. Like, don't ever do it because you want to be able to say we're global and we have XYZ offices and X amount of people. Um, as tempting as that is, it, it's sort of the, the wrong way to look at it. Um, the better way to look at it is actually understanding, number one, um, what is the sale I'm in, right? If I'm in a pure inside sale where I don't really have to be local to go get the deal done, I don't have to be face-to-face, -face, I don't have to have a, an extraordinary amount of, of local or regional knowledge around culture and how deals are done, um, it's actually really efficient to not expand and actually keep things in one spot so that you can drive operational rigor, you can make sure you have leadership oversight, you can make sure you build a really high quality team that operates well. The trade-offs I think about when expanding outside of HQ usually go to what are the benefits being there and, and what are the things I need to overcome in terms of, uh, of being in that market. And, and generally, for example, when we um, expanded to New York, where we are today, um, we first started to understand what kind of sale are we in. We mm -hmm. are in a sale that is, you know, at the time was very heavily tilted towards the mid-market. Um, we were handling it through mostly inside selling, but also finding a ton of success when we went on site and spent time live with customers during our sales process. And the economics of our sale were such that we can justify it. And we found that when we invested that time um, in person for this segment of deals, that we were actually very successful in driving them forward, not just from a win rate perspective, but in the um, lifetime value of those customers once they came on board. And so the question of New York came down to, well, we're starting to learn this about our business. Um, let's actually take some trips and let's actually test. You know, when we start to go out there live in these sales cycles, how do we perform? And we found, um, in our case, it was pretty clear that when we're out there live, it made a ton of sense for this segment of business that is important to us. And so it became a question of, of what are the trade-offs? And the trade-offs became, well, how do we have the right leader and seed? How do we make sure we can ramp it up and make sure the folks are successful? How do we cordon off the business and how do we operate? Um, and there are other things as well, right? If you were looking at a sale that maybe doesn't have as much margin on it or the economics aren't built so that um, you can build a large team in a high, high cost area like New York or Palo Alto or San Francisco, um, you might be led by how do I actually drive this sale really efficiently outside of having the higher cost of that structure. And that's another way to look at it. But 
Um, it really comes back to understanding your sale and what are the drivers either on the plus side or the saving side that you can actually gain by being outside of HQ, and more importantly, how you can make sure that operation is successful. Cool. Um, and I guess now that you've got conviction um, to expand and you've got the buy-in to expand globally, um, how are you thinking about building teams to support that hypergrowth? Um, and I guess, is there a leadership philosophy that fuels how you think about this? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a good question. So uh, oftentimes, the, the industry's dotted with a graveyard of companies that are teams that try to expand internationally only to find, hey, we can't go as fast as we want, or we ended up not having as much success as we'd like, or it took us two or three iterations to get blank market going. And, and generally what I find is um, there's a couple of reasons behind that. Number one is oftentimes um, companies say they want to go win in blank market, call it EMEA, APAC, you know, mm -hmm. New York, right? Um, but are they actually committed to putting in the work to figuring it out? Right. Hey, you know, it'd be great to have an EMEA team. Why don't we put one or two sellers on the ground and see what they do? It actually takes a lot of planning and thought and yeah. commitment of resources to to make the market successful. And so for trip actions, you know, we'll put before we ever put a test body in a market or a team in the market, we want to know it's actually a market we care about, right? Whether it's a set of customers that we believe are interesting and meaningful and can find success in our platform because at the end of the day we're all about the traveler, all about the customer and adding value. Um, but once we decide to go globally, we want to make sure those teams are well supported and set up for success. So what does that mean? Um, it starts with leadership, right? I always think about scaling as um, having a few key pillars. Number one is you have to have the right leadership in place mm -hmm. um, for what you need to do. Obviously, there's other things like hiring, enablement, having the right operating model, and making sure you have a demand machine to go feed that model. Um, but it really starts with leadership and understanding um, what we need to be successful in the market. So, for example, um, our leadership team in New York um, landed about a year and a half ago, a, year, a little over a year ago, um, with Tyler John, Lizzie Rouleau, um, who had worked together and actually landed offices in the past, and Lizzie, who was actually already working with Trip Actions highly successfully at HQ, bringing a ton of DNA into that office. And Tyler, who had built out and scaled operations for uh, multiple companies in multiple new regions, had the DNA of building and scaling. And so having that right leadership team in place who it actually knows how to do that was huge. And because we're hyperscaling, it's important to know we can't think about just you know hiring one or two and how to sustain that. We had to think really far ahead. So one, we had to make the first few people successful and make sure we had a repeatable model before we step on the scale gas. But once we have that piece figured out, it's about how do we make sure if we hire, let's say, 10 SDRs in the next quarter, um, that we have the leader in there today um, to actually support and lead those folks. And that leader is right. actually a customer to the market and the company if they're coming from the outside um, before those reps because they have to lead them, right? Yep. Um, so making sure we're hiring ahead on the leadership, not hiring behind or just in time, uh, and making sure that we have the right enablement resources and DNA either through transplanting landing teams to the, um, to the frontier and also making sure that the enablement team has an MBO that is make this team successful and how do we do it. Um, so we really try to attach them well to the operational footprint of the company as well as to the enablement footprint of the company and seed that team with the right DNA. That's, that's my ideal setup of making sure we have the hyper growth um, support ready to go. 
Got um, it. Okay. So and from a le- yeah, and from a leadership standpoint, I know you asked about that as well. Um, it, it, it comes from making sure that the, the team on the frontier, once we're committed to actually being successful there, um, we make sure it has a seat at the table instead of for me, uh, you know, the easiest thing is, well, this thing is not a large share of my revenue yet, so it gets 10% of my time or 5% of my time or 20% of my time. Um, if I want New York, for example, when we were scaling it last year to be high, very successful, it, it needed a disproportionate amount of my time, of my support, uh, my um, enablement team's time, our operations team's time, uh, to make sure that we were we were investing in it the right way to get it out of the gates. Got it. Okay. Um, and so it sounds like uh, you think about establishing that core team on the ground, right? To really kind of set it up for success and set it up for hypergrowth. Right. And 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 absolutely. The the one thing I'll also note about the leadership team is sometimes it's easy to say go find the most senior person you can find, and and that is one of the biggest pitfalls that I think about. It's it's oftentimes figuring out what the right leader is for what you need to do mm-hmm. and not falling into the trap of, hey, we got this great, you know, we got a woman with a great title from so-and-so or we got a guy with a great, you know, look at his background from so-and-so. Right. Um, understanding what you need done. So, for example, when we were starting New York, we needed to scale from scratch pretty early, yep. but we were also doing it so quickly that we needed a leader who can handle scale. And so... Um, having someone who is really entrepreneurial and getting us out of the gates, but could also grow and, and had demonstrated success um, building teams that were 50, 100 to 200 people, um, that was the kind of DNA we needed. And, and whether in one person or multiple people needed to construct that leadership team that could handle the growth that we wanted to navigate um, over the next 12, 24, 36 months. Got it. Very cool. And I guess on that note, how did you find that person? Did you work with an external recruiter? Did you, <laughs> did you have enough yeah. brand traction? So um, from a hiring perspective, um, you know, it's it's easy when, when you don't know a market. If you have zero footprint, zero network in that market, um, a great place to start is talking to recruiters and is understanding what, um, what the landscape looks like. Mm-hmm. We work with, uh, I think, Bets Recruiting in, in New York, and I'd, I'd used, used them at other shops. Um, and knew that they had a pretty good pulse on the market. So they were great at helping us to get an initial lay of the land and understanding um, you know, what companies and what places were interesting. Um, it ended up that the, the uh, person we hired was a referral uh, from internally and really activating the company's network around it, uh, even at a small company, um, and we were maybe a few hundred at the time. Um, it was it was surprising how broad the network goes when you look at who do you know and mm-hmm. who's great and and give me the top ten people in your network from you know market X and mm-hmm. let's actually just go talk to them and figure out who's amazing um, and that's not something as a as a um, as a company you need a massive brand to do like sometimes we we fall into that trap of I'm a startup and I only know you know twenty people across my network um, therefore there's no way I can get that from the network. Um, you'd be surprised when you tap into your investors, when you tap into to the, the networks of the team, that you can actually get some pretty good traction if you invest a little bit there. So across right. the uh, the network and also um, also agencies to make sure that you know you can get some spread if you don't have a really strong network there yet. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, I can suddenly agree with that. I think we generally will think about recruiting as a three-pronged approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, leverage your investors, leverage your immediate team and yourself, and then obviously activate agencies in your early days in the absence of a recruiter. That way you're really kind of helping fill that top of funnel. Absolutely. And and the one thing that I, I really want to can't underscore enough is there's a lot of amazing companies out there. It's every time I turn on TechCrunch, there's, there's you know five companies that are transforming fill-in-the-blank industry, and um, it's really about making sure as a leader, whether a sales leader or a CEO um, or whoever's landing that team, um, being very clear about why should someone want to work for you. Right. Why is that best person that you know when you find that right profile and you know who you're tracking down, why should they want to work for you versus Google or Facebook or some other company? Um, and being really clear about what they're here to do and what they're not here to do, right? And, uh, uh, and, and that'll be actually a really good forcing function to be really clear about what your narrative is, what the culture and tone of that new office or offices will be, and also making sure you're, you're matching culturally and mm-hmm. values-wise with the leaders that you speak with because that being out in the frontier it's even more important than ever that the leadership you have on the ground is very well aligned with you and the rest of the leadership team on the values you want to drive, the culture you want to set. Right, yeah. Um, I guess on that note, um, you had mentioned that you had moved somebody to New York from headquarters. So I'm just curious, do you, different geographical offices have different goals or are they all rolling into headquarters? Is it different because it's a new office. How do you think about that? Yeah, so in terms of different offices with, with different goals, um, we have a few different iterations at TripAction. So, you know, as you know, we're in the business of, of, of helping people get there so they're not worrying about the, mm-hmm. the trouble and issues of getting there. Um, and for us, we have a sale and a go-to-market that's, that, um, you know, is in the mid-market, but we also have a, a quickly growing enterprise segment and we have a, a faster moving commercial segment as well. Um, to date, our field office expansions have been more focused on being closer to our customers, being closer to our prospects so we can better relate to them, better understand the market and actually better get in front of them because we believe in the power of being there. Um, when we think about um, offices uh, outside of the field, there are other reasons to have them, right? We have a a large support office in Amsterdam and in Sydney. We have mm. engineering hubs in, um, uh, sorry, and one more in uh, in Dallas as well. But we have engineering hubs in Amsterdam and Kazan, Russia. And as we think about um, in the future, you know, that same rubric that I talked about of understanding why outspend, expand outside of HQ doesn't just apply to field roles. It applies to um, other parts of the company, right? right? In Amsterdam, we found a unique um, footprint of product and R&D resources, and um, particularly given the travel hub of companies like Booking being in Amsterdam, um, we felt that uniquely suited to uh, to be able to help us and drive a really strong R&D team there. Um, and so it's important to make sure that we understand, going back to why we're doing it and what we're solving for when we go outside of HQ, when we're opening those offices. Dallas is an amazing support office there with a strong culture also um, with travel footprint there, right? With a number of airlines and uh, and other players in the travel space there that we can really draw talent from. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was really valuable for us to scale quickly out of the gates with our support org. Right. Right. So it's, um, so the different offices have different goals and objectives. 
Um, but at the end of the day, they all, I don't know if the right word is roll into HQ. We still have a centralized leadership team that sits at HQ uh, largely, but um, each of those offices needs to have that right blend of connectivity to HQ, but also to have their own unique flavor and feel and autonomy in order to feel that sense of ownership of what they're driving out there. Right. And I guess on that note, with a dispersed team, right, a globally dispersed team, you're dealing with time zones and mm-hmm. um, just different schedules, I imagine. How do you ensure that everybody stays connected to um, whether it's your sales team in New York staying connected to the broader sales team or your folks in Sydney and Amsterdam staying connected to the broader mission and goal of uh, trip actions. How are you thinking about that and what are some tips you can share for somebody who might be thinking about um, that sort of expansion? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the one thing we talk about a lot at trip actions and it goes back to the mission of the company. You know, we're in the business of of, of helping to connect people mm-hmm. physically, and we believe that there's a ton of power there, right? How does that translate to how we operate? Um, when we think about the power of being there, we also understand the depth of the power of community and actually have an environment where um, people are working well together. And when we think about how quickly we've grown, we're over 800 people now um, globally across nine or 10 offices, wow. um, and plan to grow significantly in the next uh, couple of years to come at least. Um, we recognize that what helps us make or break, whether we're successful in executing against this massive market opportunity, uh, is not so much purely, hey, did we build the right operating model or did, did we hire well and fill some numbers? It really comes back down to culture. And whether or not we build the right culture of keeping people connected to the mission, making sure they're, they're operating with the same values. And... Um, and that we're holding the bar for excellence. So when I think about keeping those teams connected, um, it comes back down to how do we make sure we are um, putting that into how we operate. So we do a weekly all hands, um, and in every all hands we talk about the company's values. It's On one hand, you might think it's repetitive. On another hand, we are starting um, a lot of people every single month, and mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that in every all hands, we can talk about the values and why they matter and actually how they come to life in different departments and in different ways at the company. So our number one value is it's all about the user. It's all about that customer. Um, how do we make sure that you know, when I'm building a product in a team in Amsterdam, I'm thinking about, well, how does this help the traveler? And, and how do we help make them have a more magical experience uh, when they run into an issue on the road? Um, when we think about you know, if I'm starting a new team in Chicago, we recently landed a team there. Um, how do we make sure they are really embracing what it means to um, uh, live the value of just say it and, and growing through direct and meaningful feedback and having that courage to speak up when someone in a different office says something that maybe doesn't make sense or someone sitting next to them even says, you know, is selling in a way that, that hey, wait a second, I should give them some direct feedback, right? Um, it's really important that we, we build the, f- the infrastructure around how we communicate to make sure that those things are flowing and to make sure that we're connecting not just on a geo level at the top to top, but as we grow out these teams to make sure that our SDR team in New York is actually connected to our SDR team in HQ and mm-hmm. our SDR team in Amsterdam and our SDR team in London um, so that we can actually drive a similar operating model. Because the last thing we need is 
nine or 10 different offices that do things nine or 10 different ways and yeah. everyone's just sort of built their own model. Yeah. Um, that really defeats the purpose of actually scaling a model and having that rigor in place. And so um, having clear, not just regional ownership and regional sort of alignment and regional sense of mission and shared sense of community, um, that's not enough. We also need to have that functional um, line, right? So that all our teams, no matter what office they sit in, they both have that regional roll up and, and are involved there, but also have a deep connection to their functional counterparts across the globe. Um, and it's really critical that we're focusing on that and investing in that because um, it's easy to tilt a lot harder one way or another um, if we're not careful, right? right? Because we don't want an office of people that feel like they just work for five different functions and happen to sit there. Uh, but we also don't want an office that just has a bunch of people that are aligned with Region X or Office Y um, and don't really care to drive the operating model that uh, we're building across the globe for a function. Right. So it's about finding that right balance and making sure that um, the people in those offices have that tight tie to both um, and also are not just there to consume that operating model, but also help to feed it and grow it and drive it. Yeah which is something that we've been talking about a lot here in New York as this team has had a lot of success in growing and building some really strong expertise on the team, right? right? How do we feed that back to that global operating model instead of feeling like you're just the team on the frontier that's yeah. consuming this model that someone at HQ built? Right. I, I really like that a lot. Um, it, it's a people-first focused approach, right? Um, Absolutely. And I, I think that's critical um, when the going gets tough and it's amazing when everything is going really well, right? But kind of gets you through those troughs as a startup um, that is in hyper-growth mode, right? There's ups and downs. And so I think being people first and really focusing on the cultural piece is, is critical um, throughout those periods. Absolutely. Um, any final tips that you want to share with our listeners today? Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I boil it down to thinking about international scale and, and when to open the offices and you know, the, the steps between you know, being in a, a small WeWork somewhere and trying to get out of the gates and, and being across many, many markets and geos. Um, there's a lot that goes into that, right? I'd say just to summarize one, um, know why you're doing it. And the default is don't do it until you actually know why you're doing it, what you're gonna get out of it, and what you're going to risk by doing it and making sure that you're, you've thought through that, you've built a plan to do it and that you're measuring whether or not it's actually delivering that. Um, number two is making sure you have the right leaders and don't, don't, don't fall into the, the, the trap of saying, I need to have an office in X region by Y date and saying, I'm just gonna go build it with whoever I have and let's see what happens. Um, the likelihood of success in that scenario is zero. Um, once you have the right leader, it's really thinking about how we build the right team and build the right structure around it and set them up for success. Because again, we talked about you don't want to do it until you are committed to actually making that office or that region successful. Um, and finally, as you're scaling, making sure that you're finding that right balance between they need to feel like they're a band of brothers and sisters out there in the frontier and really tied to that mission and, and making that office successful at all costs. Uh, but also deeply connected to HQ and, and really mm -hmm. feeling like they can connect to the functions and so we can drive the right model out there instead of building something that's incubating you know, on the Galapagos Islands somewhere all by itself, right? right. Um, but if you do it well, and again, this is you know, a, an active process, it's not just you set it and forget it and it's done, 
Um, if you do it well, it can be an amazing lever for the business, but, um, but it is one of the challenges of growing and scaling globally. And, and one of the things that at Trip Actions we're um, very excited to be doing over the next months and, and years, right? So just to, to wrap up, you asked me that first question, which is, um, how did I end up at Trip Actions? And um, I shared one part of that story, which is you know, my time at Facebook and, uh, and time at MuleSoft taught me that my, I have a lot of, I get the most energy when I'm building a company I view as special. You know? and, and I think the bar for really special is, do we build a legendary company that has a massive market, that has a lot of pain in that market, and that we can solve well and create a company that adds significant impact for our customers and our employees and, and the world. Um, and more importantly, are, am I and are we doing it at this time where we're actually writing that history, right? So um, mm -hmm. I think about you know, working at, at Facebook uh, a decade ago, or you think about building you know, any of the companies that we've, we come to know and love in tech or otherwise, um, and the reward that comes from being able to say, hey, I was building trip actions when no one really knew what it was. <laughs> and I guess a lot of people know who we are now. Yeah. Um, and to be part of that writing history, um, you know, I think that's what we're doing. And part of this global expansion is really feeding that right now. So it's a really exciting time to be here. And I'm excited to, to be able to spend some time together today. Thank you for coming on the show, Rich. It was really great to have you. Thank you for having me, Jessica. It was a pleasure.